This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jank E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story. Last episode, we came to you with information about the new Popper Format Panel, or PFP. This episode, we come to you with news of their first actions as a body. I thought the PFP was multiple bodies. Well, they are, but together they form one cohesive body. So they're Legos? You know what? Sure, if that's what it takes to get through this, sure. Anyway, the PFP has moved forward with its first format changes. Atog, Bonder's Ornament, and Prophetic Prism have now been taken into the Mana Vortex, never to be seen again. You know, unless the format evolves in a direction that makes it safe to unban them. When explaining the reason behind the bans, Gavin Verhey stated that one of the first things the PFP all agreed on was the need to remove something from the affinity deck lists. When looking at all of the possible options for the deck, Atog was selected as the best choice to remove as it fueled the most synergies and variations on the deck's strategy. After handling the affinity concerns, the panel realized that Tron was in a position to be the dominant deck once again, and it wouldn't even be close. And players of the format already complain about Tron a lot as is. Isn't that just the expectation for Tron at this point? That which Urza left upon the plains rises, discovered by others, as he and Mishra discovered the Thran, to wreak destruction in the hands of those who do not care to control their power. I I don't think most Tron players can wreak havoc on quite that scale. Wasn't that the concern in getting rid of things from the deck? I suppose so, but we digress. Yes, back to the story. Much like Affinity, the PFP wanted to moderate the deck without totally removing its viability in the format. Wizards first attempted to do so last year with their banning of Expedition map, but it didn't work out as they had hoped. Mapped out the decision wrongly, I guess. If you insist. This led to the PFP needing to take a good look at the deck. A large part of the deck's power came from the fact that it had access to multiple colors and some of the best spells and loops in the format, due largely to Prophetic Prism and Bonder's Ornament. Prophetic Prism could be especially troublesome, as Tron typically uses flicker or blink effects to effectively cantrip with it. Seeing that these two could be replaced with slightly less efficient versions, the panel decided they were safe to remove from the format without totally tanking the deck's chances at survival. But that begs the question, where does this leave the rest of the format? Mostly the same place it was. But with what the PFP is hoping will be an overall better balance in place. 
they would prefer not to jump the gun and hit the format too hard at once. We've seen formats balance out after bans before, so there's no real reason to think this time will be any different. Well, if it is different, we'll just have to wait till March to get any further updates, as that's the next plan update timing. Oh, so we're back to scheduling our abandoned restricted announcements. It's better than announcing your announcements. But if I don't announce my announcements, who will notice them? A whole announcement could get consumed by the mono vortex, leaving behind no scraps of the important information it contained. I think it will be fine. Interestingly enough, Popper wasn't the only format to get some much-needed updates. On January 25th, a banned and restricted announcement was published that affected the Legacy, Standard, and Historic formats right alongside some alchemy rebalancings. For Standard, Alrin's Epiphany, Divide by Zero, and Faceless Haven were all banned. Legacy lost Ragavan Nimble Pilferer, and Historic saw Memory Lapse moved from suspended to banned status. Perhaps in time, our memories of the damage it caused will lapse as well. Well, if the mana vortex has its way. But in a surprise twist, to fairy, Time Raveler was rebalanced to cost four mana and returned to the format. All three of the standard bannings were very well received by the community at large, especially Alrun's Epiphany, which has been incredibly popular in both the Best of One and Best of Three standard ladders. And even without access to Alrun's Epiphany, blue decks would be very strongly positioned if Divide by Zero were allowed to remain, hence the decision to ban it as well. It was frequently used to create soft locks to stop opponents from doing anything else, and grind wins out. Faceless Haven, on the other hand, was banned simply due to its high level of efficiency in the aggro decks in the format, specifically green and white. With Ragavan's level of popularity and efficiency in blue-red Delver decks, players of the Legacy format had been incredibly vocal almost since its release with complaints about the card's presence in the format. Uh. Memory Lapse was deemed unsafe to return to the format, so it has been sent to the Mana Vortex. Also known as the Band List. Teferi was tested out in the Mirror Mirror event last year, so the format was able to see how it would fit in with that adjustment, and as such, it was deemed safe to unban. As far as the alchemy rebalancing goes, there are just too many cards for us to get into here, but we'll be sure to link the full list in the show notes. Our next story! Magic seems to have a certain number of constants. Lands, creatures, and blue mages getting a bad rep, just to name a few. If they didn't want a bad reputation, they shouldn't counter so many spells. If you don't want your spells countered, play uncounterable spells. Says the green mage. I'm learning to play reactive decks. I'll believe that when I see it. Another constant is the propensity for drama and backlash. With you around, drama is certainly a constant of our show. I bring a proper gravity and awareness of the secrets of the multiverse. 
Secrets. Right. A few episodes ago, we spoke about limited resources catching some heat for taking a new sponsor that dabbles in cryptocurrency and NFTs. Now, the command zone has joined them in feeling that heat. To make matters worse, Jimmy Wong decided to make light of the overall audience reaction, posting tweets with comments like, We survived a two-year global pandemic and all we got was this NFT. Needless to say, this strategy did not help ease the situation. Interestingly enough, this wasn't the most heat the Titanic podcast caught recently. On January 6th, the Command Zone published an episode titled Dear Commander Design Team, addressing things that the format has seen more of in recent sets. Among those problems were things like format acceleration, the proliferation of fast mana, and more efficient ramp, and an overall larger emphasis on format efficiency. Now, the points that were made through the course of that episode were all very good points. These were problems that the community members have mentioned frequently over the last two or three years. The problem with the video lies in the fact that it was the command zone themselves making these points. The community at large began pointing to the fact that they traced a lot of these problems to the products by the command zone team, especially the Game Nights play series. During the time immediately following episode release, people took to the comments on Twitter to let Jimmy and Josh know that they were terribly disappointed with this sudden shift in their tone, especially with their history of encouraging those exact types of spells and play patterns. Josh and Jimmy subsequently defended themselves, saying that they don't deny the role they've had, but that to play the game in any way less than they do would make for less fun gameplay to watch and would be a disservice to the fans. They also noted that when they mention the more efficient cards, it's not in an only play these type of way, but do you play this less efficient thing or do you simply play this much better card? Either way, the podcast has been largely silent on the issue since that aftermath, but we have to wonder how this backlash will affect their content going forward. And on that note, it's time to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll hear from Diz, teasers from Neon Dynasty, and more. Are you trying to find a way to finance your new house? Do you need to send your child to college or a parent to the home? These major life expenses can pile up. Shoddy, cut-rate lenders like Grinko always ask for more than you can give. Here at the First Planer Bank of Orzov, we can give you very fair terms. For that new house, we could give you an 80-year mortgage with the option to pay early or to work off your debt as a door greeter ghost like the famed Agris Coast. If you bank with us, you'll never have to worry your soul about your finances. First Planer Bank of Orzov will take care of you forever. 
Welcome back! New secret lairs are always worth discussion, and so with that, we'll throw to Diz to hear more. Diz? Thank you, Kit. For all those with the watery sign, the new Aquarius secret lair has been revealed, and as with the Capricorn lair, it's a set of five basic lands. The lands feature artwork on five islands showing a city underneath the ocean leading into a hill above it. As always, there are both foil and non-foil lands, and both can be found in bundles of five sets each. Think they were done with watercolor? Probably either digital or oil paints looking at them. <sighs> Ignoring that moving right along, we have received some unfortunate news about Unfinity. Due to the continued global supply chain problems, it's been pushed back to the second half of the year. We don't know exactly when just yet, but hopefully sooner rather than later. As of now, no other product releases have been delayed, so let's hope that trend continues. We have been promised further updates on the set's release as that info becomes available to the company, so we'll just have to sit tight and wait for more. Kit? Thank you, Diz. On Monday the 24th, Mark Rosewater came to us with his traditional set teaser article, dropping all sorts of hints and sneaky secrets about Neon Dynasty. These include upcoming creature types, like a new legendary goblin samurai, a fox pilot, a legendary enchantment creature who's a snake, and even a turtle ninja. Do you think that last one may be a hint about a new secret lair coming soon? I think that at this point, nothing is impossible to see in Magic. Well, based on the fact that we're getting two new Yamazaki cards, it wouldn't be too shocking. Not to mention two returning cycles coming back with new twists. Come on, new epic spells! Isn't that just more foils you need? That's a problem for future jank, not current jank. Plus, we still haven't mentioned that there are abilities that say, quote, trigger extra time, or destroy creatures and planeswalkers. And with the promise of one of Tamiyo's children getting a legendary card alongside a returning legendary creature with a new card, there's definitely something for fans of all aspects of the game, mechanical and story. Speaking of mechanical, let's head over to ISO to hear about the mechanics of the next couple of events we have coming. ISO? Thank you, Jank. First up, we'll talk about the February Qualifier Weekend, which will be held in the traditional historic format. This tournament will be held February 5th to 6th, and will be open to the top 1200 arena-ranked players, alongside those who earned all 10 event tokens from the Decathlon and those who did extremely well in the January Qualifier Weekend. Two weeks later, we'll see the Neon Dynasty Arena open. During that weekend, participants will be competing in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Limited, with Day 1 hosting Sealed and Day 2 Draft. The exact prize pool hasn't been announced yet, but as the last arena open had a slightly higher overall prize pool, it feels likely this upcoming one will continue that trend. The January ranked season comes to an end on January 31st, so we'll keep our eyes peeled open for more February updates. Jenk? Thank you, ISO. We'll take another quick break, and when we return, there will be... And when we return, there will be a new news bruise and more. 
Welcome back. Hello, lost little one. Are you seeking guidance on this metallic plane that you can't find from the predators or from your own families? Do you need shelter in these trying times of death and misery? Why don't you come join us at the Croc Clan Ironworks? We here at the Croc Clan believe that anyone with two hands has a fighting chance to not be completed. And even though that fighting chance may be small, it's still not quite zero. We of the Croc Clan will take care of you as best we can. Or until we get ripped to shreds. No one's quite sure. Come find us. Welcome back. And on this edition of News Brews, I am joined by David, a.k.a. Matterpillar. David, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. It is our pleasure to have you. Uh, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as far as who you are for Magic or what you do with Magic and how you got into Magic. Um, I've been playing Magic since I was pretty small. My brother got me into it. Uh, the first pack I ever opened had a Lightning Angel in it. So that was like 2000 era. Back when like <laughs> Rebels were just coming out. I had a Maget of the Lion a mono white deck that my brother trounced <laughs> with Masticore. And Shard Phoenix in a he would forbid lock me. Oh, that's how I was introduced. <laughs> um, nowadays, I basically only play Commander and Limited, and I've been dabbling in pre-modern. Well, uh, speaking of Commander, um, why don't you tell us about this first deck you brought? Okay, this is my worst Manicur possible deck, which is helmed by Eska, God of the Tree. Notably, not the Prismatic Bridge, but Eska, because it turns out that when all of your cards cost 10 mana, you need something to do on turn 3. Um, so she kind of fills that hole pretty nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know how most mana curves are a nice bell curve? Preferably around, yeah. like, the, the more, the more the, this format goes along, the more it shifts left towards 2 and 3 drops. This bad boy uh -huh. is like a parabolic exponential curve where we got a couple right. two drops, a couple three drops, a couple four and five drops, a couple six drops, and then 42 seven plus and up drops. Oh, oh my so gosh. We've got, a, we've got a brick wall of tastiness there. <laughs> All um, right. It um, originally came about because I, I won a torment draft and I got a Cabal Coffers and I wanted something to do with the Cabal Coffers. <laughs> So it was originally a um, Golos deck, but then I was playing on people online and they'd get really salty that I was playing Golos, even though I wasn't tryharding yeah. at all. So I changed it because yeah. everyone was really salty and then it got banned. Yeah, so, so lucky timing on your part. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so what are the meat and potatoes of this deck? What's your main plan with these incredibly expensive spells? Um. The, so, I have a problem, and it's I really enjoy making people lose to bad cards. 
So we've got <laughs> we've got some absolute gems in here. Uh, my favorite my favorite card is Pyromancy by kind of by a lot. I'll be impressed okay. if people actually know what this card is. It's a red. Uh, it's an enchantment. It's two red red, and it reads: Pay three mana, discard a card at random. Pyromancy deals damage to target creature or player equal to that card's converted mana cost. Oh my god! And so the best thing about this is if I'm playing against people who haven't played against this deck, is I'll play that card on like mid game. If people don't really know what I'm doing yet, they'll read it and they'll be like really confused. And they'll you know kind of <laughs> give me that like squinty eye like. Is this man bad, or is he just, like, new? <laughs> um, and so then what happens is I pay three, and I activate it, and I, like, discard a nine drop, and I just hit something for nine. And everyone's like, woo, like, man, I got high-rolled there. I just took nine to the face. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and then I'll activate it again, and I'll, like, hit someone with a ten drop. And then, like, I get the... I get, it, it, it's like a slasher movie where the first right. teenager has died, and now the second teenager has died, but no one's freaking out quite yet. But there's that ominous building of tension in the air. The, the suspicion then, that something's not quite right. The suspicion that something's not quite right. Yeah, and then I discard <laughs> the third one, and someone takes seven damage. And then the table just, like, freaks out, because I've just 30 people for nine mana. Man. <laughs> That's yeah, I I can see where people would be confused, surprised, and then angry in that order. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like I can't believe I let this resolve. As it turns out, as it's it, really good if your deck is made up of ten drops. Oh my god, he has seven cards in hand, and he just untapped with Cabal Coffers. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so we got the main goal down to beat people in the face with Pyromancy and the rest of your deck. So what's what's the veggies that get you there? Where's the support that kind of gets you to where you want to be? Uh, well, a good start is playing against bad decks. Uh, you you want to aggressively <laughs> avoid any CEDH pods or All anything right. incredibly high powerful. Like I've played, or not even high power. I played against a, an Afara deck, where it's just uh -huh. like two mana hate bears and counter spells. Oof! This deck thrives on resolving a spell a turn. Uh, so <laughs> pick your pod well is a good start um usually um so i can if, if i'm like really popping off usually what you do is you cast eska on turn three because you're limited on your early drops and then hopefully <laughs> you hit like um there's a bunch of five drop accelerants like uh, i think i remember Ari's wake which is really tasty there's a yeah. Maelstrom Archangel which lets you get cheaty on things. Uh -huh. Got Hour of Promise to find Cabal Coffers and Urborg. Same with Tenth of Discovery. Yeah. Um, so you hit some like mid-game-y ramp goodness. And also you kind of just play... You can also do things like hardcast Akum Warrior on turn 4. Which is the <laughs> Zendikar flip land that makes a 4-5 trample for 6. <laughs> and and when you resolve spells like that, people's threat analysis on you kind of falls off a cliff, which will yeah. usually it's kind of like casting time stretch basically, and low power <laughs> pods because people are just going to kill someone else because you just you just cast an Akum warrior. <laughs> so, um, and then yeah, you kind of just want to clog up the board a little bit. There's a f a fair few sweepers like 
Blasphemous, Blasphemous Act and Vanquish the Horde to, like, keep things kind of under control. Right. And then, yeah, you kind of just want to survive until you have eight mana, and then it does a, it has a bunch of degenerate things later, once you have enough mana. You can, yeah. uh, you can Mind Shrieker people, which uh, is the, <laughs> it's the two mana 1-1 one, one flyer, and then you mill a card, and it gets plus X plus X for X is the convert mana cost. Oh my! <laughs> I've for, I've a bunch of people with that bird. Oh oh my! That's for for sure. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of amazing. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah, it's got some great synergies. Like you cast a name as one, the twelve drop. That when you cast it, you can search your library for a spirit card. So you cast right. your twelve drop to find your two drop. Really throws people off off, <laughs> off kilter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, I really need this tutor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, let's see what other good ones. And then uh, a lot of the high, um, a lot of the higher cost of things are actually like have cheaty costs. Like I have two of the bringers, oh, so you man, can the cast them for for Wooberg instead of um, nine mana. Right. A bunch of the wraths like vanquish the horde, blasphemous act, and play the game. Yep. You can cast for cheaper. Um. You've got some big stabilize. You've got like Mo- Moyosian of Life's Wed, which cheats pretty hard. Yeah, that's always um, good. You got Primal Surge, which I have resolved twice, and I have yep. hit for zero and one respectively. That means your uh, that means your pod failed if they let you resolve that. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite was I, I resolved Primal Surge, and my opponent was like. Was it like moving to scoop? Like, oh, we're dead. Only people who play Primal Surge have no permanence, and then we just lose. And like the top card I hit was an instant. It was, it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> it's like, well, I've just paid ten mana to mill myself. <laughs> yeah. So the deck is is uh, pretty. It, it's more for like battle cruising fair pods. Oh, but then for you sure. Get, like Sifter Worm, which you scry three and then gain life equals CMC, so you can just gain like ten off that. Yep. Blazing Archon to stop from people from attacking you. As and you do. Eventually you just start hardcasting big stuff that's like 10-10s. Yeah. And, and hope that, that it you, gets there. If you if you can, why wouldn't you? I have also killed someone with Ancient Ooze on turn 7. <laughs> if you're not familiar, that's a 5 mana... Or it's a, excuse me, it's a 5 green green for a star star. And it's power and toughness <laughs> are equal to the CMC of other creatures you control. So if you cast That's it on an empty board, it just dies. That's... It, has, it has no evasion. It's just a bad card. <laughs> going into our going into our last question, uh, what aside from pyromancy, I'm guessing, what would you consider to be like the the personal spice or sweetness that really makes this you a you deck aside from just the fact that it exists? For my decks to just to go off the basis of existing. Um, let's see, though. I mean, Grozoth is a pretty spicy one, too. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that bad boy. I uh, I can't say I personally am, no. It is six blue, blue, blue. Defender. Okay. When it comes into play, you may search your library for any number of cards that have converted mana cost nine, reveal them, and put them into your hand. If you do, shuffle your library. <laughs> How many converted mana cost nine cards do you have? 
Uh, like 12, I think. Let me see here real fast. We got one, two, we got Blasphemous Act, Blazing Archon, Bringer of the Blue Dawn, the Black Dawn, Grozoth, Ingerox Wake, Moyogen of Life's Web, Soulfire Eruption, which is another fun one to resolve. Uh, <laughs> Spring to Mind, The Great Henge. Okay, yeah, so just those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, ten. Wow. So I play, I play quality like Progenitus and Darksteel Colossus, but not Blightsteel Colossus, because it's not as cool as Darksteel Colossus. <laughs> I rule of cool a lot. Uh, so another funny story that happened with this deck is I was playing against a mill opponent, and they they tried to mill me out, but they couldn't because I'm just running Progenitus and Darksteel Colossus, just unironically, as things to cast. So they milled me down to two cards in library, and I had Heretic's Punishment, which is a Pyromancy, but it mills instead of discarding. Oh, no. <laughs> and the only things in my deck were two 10-drops that when I milled them, they would just come back on top so I could do it again. <laughs> they sure will. So, yeah, we got the anti-mill tech in here, too. The completely accidental anti-mill tech. <laughs> yep. Just because I like Progenitus and Darkseal Colossus. They're just pet cards of mine that I jam Who doesn't? into things. Yeah. I still have not gotten... I have Bosch in here. He he throws artifacts. Yes. I have not thrown the Great Henge or the Cauldron of Eternity at someone yet. But it, it's on my to-do list. All right. Uh, that just about does it for this segment. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they'd like to follow you? Uh, I do not do social media, so... Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can always join the MTG Nexus website. Yeah, they can come to MTG Nexus and they will stumble in, uh, into me and my hot takes. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Mm-hmm. As always, the deck list will be available in the show notes. Our final story. Star City Games announced January 25th that they would be totally revamping their content structure. Due to what they are calling significant financial losses the last two years, they have decided to lay off their competitive content writers with the final articles releasing in February. As seems to be the theme of this episode, community feedback was absolutely abysmal. So remember what I said last episode about what our stories tend to consist of? My memory hasn't lapsed quite that much, so yes. A large part of the flack they caught is due to a portion of the article that many people felt blamed Cedric Phillips for leaving. The article stated, quote, And while I support Cedric Phillips' desire to pursue his personal passions and do what he believes will make him happy, his informing me of his intention to move on from his content coordinator position in order to do so around this same time further complicated what was already an extremely complex puzzle, end quote. SCG hasn't said if that was the intention behind this remark or not, but the sudden layoff of so many content writers is the other reason the community reacted poorly. Normally, this is the part where we'd quote people's reactions, but we can't actually do so without an explicit content marker on this episode, and we're not doing that. Part of the restructuring mentioned is an overall shift to a more casual tone for their content, but they haven't provided any details of what this will entail. We will be sure to keep an eye out for further developments and let you know once they happen. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.